This is On the Record, a guide to English law from the team at Glazier Solicitors. Hello and welcome to On the Record, a podcast hosted by Glazier Solicitors. I'm Bethany Bailey, the firm's marketing and business development manager, and I'm really pleased to have Dean Lawson with us here today. Hello, Dean. How are you? Hi, Bethany. I'm good. Cheers. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. You are new to the podcast. So before we jump into anything, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Yeah. So my name is Dean Lawson. I currently hold the title of post-completion executive at Glaciers Solicitors. I've been with Glaciers now for almost two years. I've worked in the legal industry for seven years. Um, and a good bulk of that time has been spent dealing with post-completion formalities for property transactions. So as you are the post-completion expert, I know we will be talking post-completions. So whether that's residential or commercial property, there is always the post-completion portion of things. So I think it's probably best for the first question that I ask to be, what does post-completion entail? So post-completion is basically a number of paper filing exercises that needs to be dealt with once the transaction is completed. It's not the most luxurious or exciting part of the transaction, but it's, it's quite often a very important part of it. The formalities are usually dealt with by a buyer solicitor, or there'll be occasions when they're dealt with by a bank's solicitor. I'm going to use myself as an example. Let's say I've just completed on a property transaction. What needs to be dealt with? Okay. So I'm going to give you the classic solicitor's line, which is that no two transactions are the same. And so there's no set answer across the board for all transactions. So what we'll stick with today is just the most common property transaction, which is a transfer and the mortgage. And in that case, there'll usually be two compulsory requirements that need to be dealt with, which are the filing of either a stamp duty land tax or SDLT, or land transaction tax return, LTT, together with the submission of a land registry application. Quite often, there'll also be a third requirement, which is the registration of a charge at company's house. And if I'm being honest, each of those aspects could be a podcast of their own. So I'll stick to a very broad stroke approach today. Um, That's very much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. I'll stick with the kind of admin formalities instead of the technicalities this time around. So you mentioned stamp duty land tax, which we know is the residential side of things. The land transaction tax, is that the commercial property side of things? No. So SDLT is in England. LTT is in Wales. Good to know. Right. So I guess we'll start there. We'll start with the stamp duty land tax and the land transaction tax. What should we know about those two things? For the vast majority of transactions, there'll be a need to submit an SDLT or LTT return. Both of those are a tax calculated based on the total consideration paid for a property. Consideration can be a number of things, but it will usually take the form of a purchase price and a transfer. So transactions with a consideration of £40,000 or over will usually require the submission of a return, even if there's no tax actually payable. SDLT and LTT are both a personal tax. So if you were buying the property, Bethany, you are ultimately responsible for making sure a return is filed and tax is paid. But having said that, most solicitors will usually complete and submit a return on behalf of a client. 
I know you don't have specific experience in tax. You're not an accountant. You work for solicitors. But mm. is there an, a way that you could calculate tax, like an average, you could maybe estimate it so you know what you're looking at? Yeah, so both non-residential and residential properties have set rates. The issue is, is that there are different rates depending on different factors. So for example, whether the property is residential or not, whether you're a first-time buyer of a residential property, whether you're a company, etc. So again, I'll give you the line that each transaction is different. And so I think it'd be more confusing for me to list each rate of a potential transaction. Having said that, HMRC and the WRA, which is the Welsh Revenue Authority, they both have online calculators and guidance, both of which are really useful. You should lean on the guidance more than the calculators, but they're both really useful. You mentioned before when you were talking about SDLT and LTT about a return that needs to be filed. What is included in that return? The returns themselves are essentially a question and answer form about the details of a transaction. Things like the buyer and seller's details will go in there, property details and price paid. And they'll go in there amongst some other bits. If you're a purchaser and your solicitor is submitting a return for you, you should be making sure that you've provided the correct information required. So things like national insurance numbers, date of birth, your address, things like that should be provided. If you're the solicitor, on the other hand, you should be making sure that your client has approved the information that you've entered in a return and that they've also authorised you to submit it. Because without those two things, you can't technically comply with HMRC or WRA's requirements. Is there a time limit for submitting the return? Like, do I have 24 hours? Do I have 24 months? Not quite 24 months. So there is a time limit. So with an SDLT return, you need to file and pay your tax within 14 days of the effective date of transaction. And an LTT return needs to be filed and tax paid within 30 days of the effective date. Once you've submitted the returns, you'll usually receive confirmation and the appropriate certificate within a few minutes. It is worth mentioning that if you miss those deadlines, you're likely to pay fixed penalties together with any interest on any tax due. So the longer a submission is left, the worse the penalties and interest payable could turn out to be. So it's important to be organised and get those things done as soon as you can then? Yes, you do need to be organised. Solicitors will usually be on the ball with SDLT and LTT returns. But as I said earlier, it is ultimately the purchaser's responsibility. So they should be making sure that everything is is dealt with in terms of tax returns. So we have some other things to talk about, but before we do that, you mentioned the effective date. Do you want to explain that just a little bit? Yeah, so the the effective date triggers those 14 and 30-day deadlines. It's usually the date of completion. So that will be the date when the transfer is confirmed as being completed and is dated by the solicitors dealing with the transaction. There are some occasions when an effective date for SDLT and LTT purposes may be before completion, but we won't dive into those now just because it's it's a bit of a, a minefield to get into with the more intricate details. It is something that solicitors and purchasers should keep in mind though, and there's some very thorough guidance on, on those unique transactions. So now we're going to talk about companies' house and landed registry, but we before we move away... Is there anything else about property taxes that we've talked about, the stamp duty and the land transaction tax that you wanted to mention? I think as far as 
administrative formalities go, that's pretty much it. As a final note on it, I'd just say that purchasers should be aware of their SDLT or LTT liability as early on in a transaction as possible, as it could have a bearing on how you proceed. As for solicitors, if you don't provide SDLT advice or LTT advice yourself, you should be considering whether you need to recommend specialist tax advice to your client. At Glaciers, for example, we're very fortunate to have some connections within the ETL network that provide advice on SDLT. And so that option is always there if a transaction isn't as straightforward as you may think it's going to be. And I guess as a purchaser as well, it's important to keep in mind that if your solicitor isn't asking you about these returns or stamp duty or anything like that, that maybe you should ask them so that you don't miss any of the deadlines. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, as I said, solicitors will be on the ball the vast majority of times with SDLT and LTT, but that doesn't mean that you should just leave them to it. You should still be aware there are those deadlines and ultimately any tax or or filing responsibilities are going to fall back on on a purchaser. And so I think it's important to to have an interest in those and just to have a fairly healthy expectation of being updated by your solicitor that a stamp duty land tax or land transaction tax return has been submitted. Great. Okay, so I guess we're going to move away from tax and start looking at Companies House. Are there any requirements for Companies House with property purchases? Yeah, so Companies House for property purchases will come into play when there is a company purchaser and they're getting funding from a lender or bank. And it's regardless of whether it's residential or commercial. If there's money being borrowed from a lender for the sake of purchasing property, then that lender will usually want to take a charge over the property that's being purchased. That charge, once completed, so it'll be the same completion date as the purchase, that charge needs to be registered at Company's House within 21 days of completion. And if you miss that 21-day deadline, you're most likely going to need to apply to court, which is going to be quite a, a pricey process another deadline to remember so we've got 14 days 21 days and 30 days that we've talked about what is the filing process like with company's house as far as the process goes most charges these days are submitted to company's house electronically and the purchasing company's solicitor will usually deal with that filing on behalf of their client company's house requests the same details for charges for every single filing So the details of a charge, such as the date of completion and the property being charged, for example, they're inputted into a form known as an MRO1, and that's filled out electronically via Companies House web filing website. So you submit that along with a scan copy of the charge, and that goes to be registered against the borrowing company. You'll usually receive confirmation of registration within a few working days, and the cost for submission is £15 per charge per name, which is payable by the purchasing company. As an example, if one charge is to be registered against two separate purchasing companies, the total fee would be £30. Quite helpfully, if your submission is rejected for any reason by company's house, they won't charge you and they'll give you an explanation as to why the charge has been rejected. So you can then resubmit it and amend the error. That was the reason for the rejection in the first place. Are there common pitfalls that people fall into during the filing process with Companies House? 
Yes, absolutely. Companies House and Charges themselves, I think, are potentially the, the biggest banana skins as far as post-completion goes, mainly because once a charge is submitted to Companies House and it's accepted, it can't be altered. So you need to make sure it's right before it goes to Companies House. The most common issues I would say to look out for are the obvious typos and names and addresses. There can often be missing dates within the body of a charge that need filling out once the charge is completed. I think the more recent but less obvious pitfall is an incorrect execution clause or signature clause that a borrowing company or purchasing company needs to sign. So if I'm a solicitor, I should be checking that the execution clause included in a charge is acceptable to both companies, house and land registry. And I need to be making clear to my client how the deed needs to be signed. As we are dealing with property, and as you just mentioned, I assume the land registry is involved. Is there a process that needs to be completed for the land registry? Yes, absolutely. If we take the standard transfer and charge transaction that we've kind of based this on up to now, there will be a land registry application that needs to be submitted. So just to Quickly sum up, land registry is is basically what it says on the tin. It's an electronic register of land and property in England and Wales. And every section of land or property that is registered is given a title number. So once any SDLT and company's house formalities have been dealt with, an application should then be submitted to land registry against the relevant title number to record the change in ownership and to register the charge against the property. To do that, solicitors will submit a form AP1, as it's known, to Land Registry, along with any transactional documents such as the transfer or charge. And that's an application that can usually be submitted electronically. The only time it won't be is for what's known as a first registration. So that's if a property hasn't been registered previously and it needs to be registered for the first time you need to submit first registration application and they can only be submitted by post because there's usually lots of old original deeds that need to be photocopied and sent to land registry. They only accept them by post at the minute. We talked about a time limit for tax and a time limit for company's house. Is there a time limit for doing the land registry process? Ideally, you should be submitting an application to land registry as soon as possible especially when there is a lender involved because they're going to want their security on the register as soon as possible. There is a pre-completion search that you can submit to Land Registry though called an official search with priority. Basically, it puts Land Registry on notice that there's going to be an application submitted. And what that does, it gives you a six-week window to submit your application. Within those six weeks, as long as nothing was submitted before the search, you can submit your application without being affected by any other matters that could affect the property. With a standard transfer of mortgage, there shouldn't be any other matters, but those searches with priority are essential for protecting either a purchasing company or a purchaser's own interest or the interest of their lender that is giving them the monies and taking the charge. How long do land registry applications usually take? I feel like that's the million pound question in post-completion terms. And it's not one that has a simple answer, but most straightforward applications are usually completed within a couple of months, but that isn't a definite turnaround. So don't quote me on that. 
The more complex applications, such as ones that include a transfer of part of a title. So if you're taking some land out of one of those sections of land that we talked about that has its own title, they can take between nine and 11 months to be completed, if not longer. That's land registries quoted turnaround. There was a bit of a backlog already. And then obviously with COVID-19 and the pandemic happening, there's been a bit more of a delay to the processing of applications. I think if I'm a purchaser or if I'm a solicitor, I, sh- I should be aware of my expectations in relation to land registry. They're not the quickest to turn applications around, but in their defence, I suppose if they're receiving the amounts that they have been receiving, especially over the last 12 months, you can understand that. We've covered quite a bit here from tax to a company's house and land registry. Is there one thing that you would hope people took away after listening to all of this? Is there is there one thing that people should really keep in mind? Yeah, I, th- I think if... Uh, I'll, I'll split this into two. So I think if you're a purchaser, as hard as it is, once you've completed, you, you should keep in mind that there's still some paper-based exercises, I suppose, that need to be attended to and that each of those directly impact you. That doesn't mean that you need to call your solicitor every day to check that it's been done, but just to have it, again, like I said before, a healthy expectation to receive a few confirmations from your solicitor that the SDLT has been done, company's house, if any, has been done, and the Lambridge application has been submitted and completed. I think that's that's a fair expectation to have as a purchaser. If you're a solicitor, I would say don't leave post-completion until post-completion. Just constantly consider the post-completion implications for a transaction that you're dealing with. And if anything, consider them as early on in the process as possible so that you can advise your clients and act accordingly. Fantastic. Well, that's a lot to think about there. Hopefully anyone listening that is in the middle of a property transaction or getting towards the end have learned something or are feeling very confident in the process they're doing because all of the things you've mentioned are all things that they are working through with their solicitors at the moment. Thank you, Dean, so much for your time. We have covered so much here and I'm sure we'll be looking at other post-completion topics, as you said, because there's a lot to work through. But thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you to everyone who's listened also. Great. Well, we'll speak to you next time.